Would you like to retain and attract more patients to your pharmacy? Of course you do. In this episode, together with my guests, Alan Sheffield and Sam Mustafa from Gene FX Health, we discuss how one simple yet powerful test can help you do just that. And in some cases, give your patients back a quality of life that they only dreamed about. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, and that has taken us all the way through to episode 51. That's right, we're one away from our anniversary, which is simply blown me away and it's having me think and I've had a lot of feedback around what we should do to celebrate. Well, I'm looking forward to, as I'll touch on very, very shortly, catching up with as many of you as possible at APP, at our dedicated meetup and also in and around the place. And also I'm going to offer to catch up for a chat or a chin wag with you over the conference as well, but more on that later. But um, look, Thank you for your feedback of putting together your favorite moments of the last year of transformation. It's given me some great ideas and I'm just in the process with my team of putting together a special edition just filled with the brim of insights and learnings across the nine key areas of a 21st century pharmacy, which of course we all know as finance operations, people, patients, innovation, partners, IT systems, mobility, and of course, automation. So that'll be coming to you very, very, very soon. But how was your week? Now, how are we starting to start looking at 2015? We're nearly getting close to the end of February. And I imagine a lot of us are considering flu vaccinations, which was something I was talking to a pharmacy owner only this week about. And um, the complaint really was, and I hoped uh, to be able to help them, uh, was around what to do to combat the $10 vaccinations, which of course are well organised throughout Australia by the Chemist Warehouse Group. Now, it's simply a service of $10, but for those of us who are still going ahead with creating a flu clinic in our pharmacies, my advice to this pharmacy owner was to create a full and remarkable solution. And what that means is that according to what we would look at in terms of flu vaccinations, it would appear to be just a single visit without much consequence. But what I was suggesting is that you create an event around the flu vaccinations, which may include supporting um, talks that you might give yourself or your team, or perhaps you might even get your naturopath or, um, or a naturopath that you might want to partner with throughout the flu season to advise your patients as what they can do to prevent cold and flu, but also educate them about what they can do uh, to manage their symptoms all the way through winter so that they can be prepared and they're not simply scratching for solutions when it comes about. So it's certainly something that um, you can approach from a very different angle and certainly creates perhaps even some promotional content around it. I'd love to see some videos. If you're gonna host an event, that's the best idea you can do is actually video the event and then share it with your fans and your 
community and your prospective patients via YouTube and Facebook, which is certainly a great way to do it. And there's certainly a lot happening in the Facebook pages space at the moment with video. You may notice, and it's something I only learnt this week as well, is that all the videos that actually appear on Facebook that are less than 75 seconds actually auto-play without anyone having to do anything else. You may even notice that yourself when you log into Facebook, but it's certainly something that I've managed to do this week. Our promotional video is 74 seconds, so we've just made it. And it certainly makes things a lot easier, particularly when you're pushing content out to your patients as well. But as we touched on last week with Morris, we're wisdom centers. That's our new core business. And that's something we need to be putting something around if we are going to remain sustainable and engaged moving forward as well. So you've got a great opportunity if you're already booked in a flu vaccination clinic to create a remarkable experience for your patients. And I'd love to see some of those videos, so feel free to send them to me if you do them, and also what you're planning for those events as well, because I'd just love to see us do a little bit more than just simply have a nurse show up at the pharmacy and deliver a vaccination. So, my week, well, I didn't quite <laughs> tell you everything last week. I was actually in Sydney and I actually forgot to tell you in our introduction um, that I was recording from a hotel room again. So I hope I sounded okay. I hope that everything uh, went okay. It was really a test run for APP because I'll be doing some podcasting up there already. And uh, by all accounts, I've reviewed it a couple of times myself. It seems like it's going okay. And uh, I'm sounding all right, particularly when I've got just a portable mic, which I have. But also it was, a, it was an interesting time as well, because when I spend time away from my family, when I'm up interstate visiting clients, and in this case, it was also for a one-day conference, um, I've also disconnected from my kids and we covered off and I won't touch on because we've really hammered it in the last few weeks around these five prescriptions for a stress-free holiday. But I mention them again because they're extremely useful for any time you're away from the pharmacy. And I found a new use for one of the tools that we discovered in that, which was join.me. Now, the reason join.me is really good is because you can share your screen from anywhere in the world. So even if you're just on an iPad, you can share that screen with your team back in the pharmacy. Or in my case, when I was in Sydney, I was able to share my screen with my five-year-old and three-year-old or nearly three-year-old daughter back home. And I was actually able to read them a bedtime story. I downloaded a book from iBooks put it up on my screen and they were able to sit in, sit in bed with an iPad and I was able to read them a story and of course being able to read it to them through the uh, internet audio capability as well. So there's another use for technology. It's not very pharmacy based, but certainly when we're away from our families and particularly if you've got young kids like I do, it may be really, really useful at APP. And on APP, we've got some big, big, Big transformation announcements at APP. I can't tell you more at the moment, but there's also going to be a company that has been previously a guest on the show, and we're going to cover that in a couple of weeks' time, who are launching a game-changing product. And I don't say that lightly, but it really is in terms of a critical service that most pharmacies deliver. But I can't tell you any more about that. It's top secret, but all will be revealed at APP as well. What I can reveal is, as I mentioned on episode 49, 
Just a quick reminder, as I mentioned, episode 49, that we do have a webinar on Friday, which would be today. The episode is coming out this morning. So if you're one of the first people to listen to this episode 51, you may be able to, just in time, head across to robertstar.com forward slash Google Apps webinar and join us for that as well. But I'll also make that available as a replay. Uh, So I'll post the link in next week's show for that if you happen to miss it. But for APP, we've got a dedicated page, which I mentioned in episode 49 as well, which is robertstar.com forward slash APP 2015. All the resources, all the announcements, all the things that are happening at APP are going to be on this one single page for you to be able to find. So if you'd like to join me for a chat or a chinwag over the four days, I'm going to put a little appointment booking system there. They're free appointments. And uh, you tell me where you'd like me to meet you. It could be coffee shop. We can even grab a beer and uh, have a little bit of a chat. Um, and also, I've put together the paperless conference resources that I put together last year for APP 2014. So if you're heading up there and you don't want to head back lagging lots of bags of paper and brochures, there's a great solution that I spoke about last year that you can utilize to be able to change that and make sure that it's in a digital and shareable format to share with your team when you get back. I'm also going to put in there episode 13, which of course... For those who were with us all the way from the beginning, I was with George Tambassus as well, and we spoke of his visit to Portugal. And of course, it's going to be a keynote at APP as well. So if you're going to plan to head across to that keynote, it will be certainly one to warm you up uh, to listen to that great interview we had with George last year. We're going to have a meetup on the Thursday planned at the moment. I don't know where. It's going to be very low key. It's not going to be too fancy or anything like that. All it's really is just to grab a beer, have a quick chat, probably no more than an hour. And um, certainly love to meet as many of you as possible in person. And uh, if you can't make it, just uh, sing out and um, you know, I'd love to hear from you virtually. And of course, for those who don't remember, you can go to robertstar.com forward slash voicemail or there's even a button on my website that says send a voicemail if you'd like to just simply tell me what you thought of the first year of transformation or even if you have a question that I can insert into the show and then it becomes like a bit of a radio show as well, which uh, would be kind of cool. Um, I'm also going to be offering to do some Pharmacy Freedom Index or discovery sessions up at APP and we can do that again over a coffee or even a beer. Uh, So there'll be a link on that page as well. I'll be podcasting up there. So drop me a line if you have any suggestions of who you might like me to interview at the conference or perhaps you'd like me to interview you. Um, I'd certainly love to... uh, receive those and um, I'll be dedicating my time to all of you over the four days doing that. So I just wanted, before we got stuck into our interview today, um, I'm getting a little bit behind with the listener feedback and I don't like that because you take a lot of time to put the comments in the show notes or send it through by social media. So I just want to catch up a little bit before we go there. And there was a great one that uh, David, who's a long-time listener from all the way back in episode one, and I've had the great pleasure of catching up with David a couple of times to talk about what he thinks is working on the show, what he's getting out of it. And uh, again, hi, David, and thank you for again inviting us and on the show on your daily walk again today, which is fantastic. 
And David's feedback came all the way from episode 42, which of course was creating magical customer moments with Ivan Frangi. So David, aside from his involvement in pharmacy, has a family business that runs two motels on the Great Ocean Road. And he mentioned that he's been using TripAdvisor, which reviews, obviously, the feedback of all the customers that come through his motels to inform our renovations and refurbishments over the last few years. So he's been taking customer insights to improve his hotel and motel customer experience, which is fantastic. And I won't go through all the way through because it really is a very detailed one, and I really appreciate David spending time doing that. Um, But ultimately, the feedback he got from the customers, like from TripAdvisor, will ultimately replace traditional star ratings in the hospitality industry because there's nothing more powerful than customer feedback. And it doesn't really matter what a hotel inspector thinks is what the customer thinks that counts. And that was the great insight he drew away from that. And as we bring that into pharmacy, we're gonna have more and more patients reviewing us online, looking at our social media pages, Are we being helpful or are we just simply throwing them ads about soap and detergent and all these products that you can really get um, from a supermarket? So I'm sure it'll be a growing issue in the future as we grow our digital profiles. And as we've been talking about on the show, there's really important that you do that as well. But my response to David was, um, look, happy new year. And that was all the way back. I did write a response early in January. I just haven't had a chance to share it with you all on the show. Um, But certainly listening is such a critical skill when delivering exceptional customer service. And I guess that's proportional to the depth of solutions provided to their problems. So I'm a big advocate of providing our patients with unlimited communication options. It provides us with a greater ability for capturing and responding to positive and negative feedback. It's often a reason why a lot of us don't engage in social media because we're too worried about that. But peer review sites are a major driver for customer choice in many industries as the world becomes more customer centric, which of course we talk about on this show as our patient centric business model. So this represents a wealth of opportunity to pharmacies that adopt it as a sustainable competitive advantage. So Absolutely fantastic, David. Always love taking examples outside of our industry and bringing it into our industry because we can learn so much from what's around us. And I love nothing more than to receive and respond to your feedback. And I had a great chat actually with a listener, um, Steve from New South Wales on Twitter this week, which I'll share with you another time as uh, we don't want to keep Alan and Sam waiting. Our interview today is with Alan Sheffield and Sam Mustafa from Genes FX Health. Alan is the Managing Director and Sam is the Director of Pharmacy Services, a consultant pharmacist and his technical title of a pharmacogenomicist. Alan Sheffield and Sam Mustafa, welcome to the Transformation Show. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Look, it's great to have you on and uh, look, it's such a fascinating topic of uh, pharmacogenomics and uh, our listeners may be scratching their heads wondering what what that might be and I'm sure by the end of uh, our chat today, they'll be well versed on it and certainly be able to see some great opportunities. No, absolutely. You know, pharmacogenomics is a bit of a mouthful, but once, once we explain, I'm sure everyone will 
understand exactly what it is. Absolutely. And um, certainly I'd lo- love to get a bit of background story. A lot of our listeners always like to know uh, how our interview guests have arrived on the show and I guess what their pathways are. And uh, I guess, uh, I guess, Alan, firstly, um, you know, you were more or less born into pharmacogenomics um, and your father, Les, is a you know, well-renowned clinical geneticist. But I guess with the business that you guys have developed, um, I guess what was the original problem that you were looking to solve and um, you know, where have you progressed with that by now? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're a genetic business and we, we very much take that literally and I guess that's why we've got a father-son combination who founded the business. So, um, yeah, look, my father, Professor Les Sheffield, um, has been the real, I guess, pioneer in Australia and he, he'd been doing um, research and development um, and worked for the Murdoch Children's Research Institute for the last 30 years, bringing new genetic tests to the market from research into, I guess, into the clinic. And um, for the last 15 years, or 15, you know, he was, you know, 15 years ago, he, he, uh, his research interest was this area of pharmacogenomics, the study of how your genes affect your drug response. And um, he, he really, from from his experience, he realised the only way to get a science into clinical practice was to start offering his own service and starting to educate doctors about the benefit of this testing and the impact that it could have to patients. And so that's effectively what he did after, you know, at the age of about 65, he left, I guess, the academic circle and started a genetic testing business and started making pharmacogenomics available throughout Australia. Yeah, yeah, no, look, it's absolutely fascinating and, uh, you know, it's really, you know, getting what I think a lot of press at the moment, you know, something that I know we we're going to talk about in terms of, you know, the exposure that we're getting now in the US around what uh, uh, President Obama's promised about uh, 215 million US dollars to support the ev- the efforts of uh, developing personalised medicines and I know that pharmacogenomics is front and centre with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of momentum happening now globally, particularly driven out of the US. And I guess, um, you know, with the President Obama making announcement, it shows that they can see that this type of preventative care and using genetics to improve health has got huge potential. And pharmacogenomics has really been um, really earmarked from the beginning as one of the first real clinical examples of how you can use the genome to improve health. Um, so I think it's very exciting that they're actually, you know, investing more money. Um, I think they've invested close to a billion dollars a year now in this space, and, and that's really creating uh, a lot of excitement. And uh, it means that the pace of translation is sort of um, accelerating. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And and Sam, one of our keenest uh, fans of the Transformation Show, Bishoy, which I know we both know, and uh, for some of our listeners will know that uh, Sam and I went to university together as well. Um, what pathway have you taken, you know, since since we all uh, broke the gates at uh, Pharmacy College and uh, went out on, on our own, on our own journeys, and how did you arrive in the pharmacogenomic space? Well, um, Rob, initially, I, I, as most uh, colleagues uh, be aware, we, we went out into community pharmacy and I worked for quite a number of years, probably about seven or eight years in community pharmacy, working in different, uh, with different groups and just gaining lots of uh, experience in the area. Um, and then, in fact, this, this opportunity came up really out of the blue 
and I guess it was at a time where I was looking to diversify my experience of pharmacy, I suppose, looking for other avenues. And uh, it really was a, a great match for what I uh, wanted to do at that time. So uh, it was at the time where GenesFX was launching their service and uh, I got to meet Professor Les Sheffield and uh, get a, a bit of a, an insight into what they're doing, which was, as you, you would imagine, would be very, very exciting for for pharmacy to be able to integrate your clinical knowledge with the, the genomics revolution, so to speak. So, um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was quite uh, lucky to get into the, the, the genes effects at an early stage and, and uh, progress from there. And now it's five years. So um, it was quite good to be able to bring along my experience uh, in pharmacy practice and be able to, to provide that sort of knowledge uh, along with the, the clinical applications of what pharmacogenomics enables us to do to, to provide um, the service that we currently have uh, at GenesFX. Yeah, no, look, absolutely fantastic. And in recent episodes of the show, we've been talking about, I guess, the future models of pharmacy care and how what the pharmacist's role may look like. And uh, we talk a lot about how there's never been so much healthcare data available. There's never been more knowledge available on Google, but it really requires a centralised person like a pharmacist to really translate that into some wisdom for our patients. And I think the pharmacogenomics brings all of those Touch points together and it's got a lot of data around it there's some gives some great knowledge about patients and it translates it into an actionable insight which hopefully provides better care for our patients so I, th- I find it fascinating personally um, but I guess where you see the industry at the moment Sam do, do you see pharmacogenomics I guess becoming something that every pharmacy may have in the not too distant future look absolutely I think um, as as you know, health professionals, pharmacists are very well equipped to take on and champion this particular uh, area, if you like, of healthcare. And we've we've seen now models uh, internationally that are looking for the pharmacists to champion this particular uh, area of, of clinical of science, I suppose, and clinical healthcare. So, um, you know, if you look at all the different um, uh, or, you know, different approaches that, that pharmacists have taken, different services, which include, you know, the HMRs, RMR services, uh, meds check, clinical interventions, all, that, all of those sort of things that are, uh, that are, that are basically available now uh, are all there to ensure that we provide safe and effective use of medicines for our patients. And pharmacogenomics really sits at the heart of that, is, is, is looking at the individual and trying to uh, match, I suppose, the best treatment to that specific patient and ensuring that they get the most uh, benefit from their treatment and obviously get them uh, healthier quicker. So you, if you look at pharmacogenomics and what it entails, and in fact fits into, into most of, of the programs we have currently running and really feeds well into the, the, the professional services that pharmacists provide. So from my perspective, I think it's, it's without a doubt, it'll be something that pharmacists will be uh, providing at the pharmacy level. We're, we're currently running some pilots uh, in Australia that look at the uh, integration of pharmacogenomics into pharmacy practices, particularly in community pharmacy. Um, and there's, you know, we've, we've found some very interesting, very positive trends that show that, you know, it is a service that can, can exist in pharmacy and is viable. Um, but we're, we're still at the moment, at, you know, at the research level and, and looking at how this could perhaps become something that is um, part of everyday practice in pharmacy. 
Yeah, and look, certainly something we see every day in practice and certainly it always comes out even back from our uni days was always about quality use of medicines and you know, I guess when we're looking at particularly two aspects that I know I've looked at with patients around pharmacogenomics of analgesics and antidepressants, um, you know, the wide-ranging, I guess, effects that a lot of patients are seeing with those two medication groups is uh, far far widening and certainly uh, um, particularly with antidepressants Presence. I think I still remember that statistic that you know seventy percent of patients may never find one that works for them, and often have to fumble their way through many different dose changes. And and how do, how do I guess patients find which one is right for them? And and I guess just for our listeners' benefit as well, did that come about from mapping the human genome? And you know specifically, you know how did it then relate to drug metabolism? Well, I guess I can talk a little bit about the testing that we currently do. So effectively, for I mean, for the listeners, for those that may be aware of what sort of pharmacogenomic tests are currently available, at the moment what we do, we're, we're particularly um, involved in looking at the, the cytochrome P450 group of enzymes. In particular, we're looking at three that are, that are involved in approximately the metabolism of 40% of commonly prescribed medications. Now, the test is, is quite well known as DNA dose, which is the test that we, we currently have, and we've, we've provided this testing for over, as I said, about five years now. So effectively, the, the variations that we see in treatment response in both uh, in analgesics and antidepressants, it's interesting that uh, for quite a lot of the antidepressants, they are metabolized through the same enzyme that a number of the opioid analgesics are metabolized by as well. So effectively, the, the variations in the enzyme function that we tend to detect when we do the testing could tell us whether the, the treatment that's being given and the dosage is whether it's adequate, whether it's uh, safe, and I suppose whether there's going to be, uh, you, 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 you're going to achieve the desired therapeutic outcome. So often what we find um, that's quite interesting is the variation in the general population of how slow or fast their metabolic processes through these pathways is quite significant and varied. And uh, it's only about 50% of patients, for example, for the CYP2D6 enzyme have normal function. The other 50% have abnormal function, whether it be increased or decreased. So when we treat patients with with a standard dose, uh, that may well work for the you know for one in two patients, but the rest of them, you may find that uh, the, the, there's a quite a variable uh, response in terms of the treatment outcome. So yeah. the, the the testing is is therefore very useful to be able to say well, you know this this group of antidepressants may not be the most suitable based on the test results, and we suggest that trialing these other uh, other antidepressants may be the, the best way to go. Yeah, and the, certainly, you know, the, the wide-ranging effects is really, I think, what what drives it. And I certainly remember back to some of the early pilots that um, who had the fortunate had the fortunate privilege of being able to work with you guys around how that was affecting certain aged care facility patients, and um, you know why they weren't getting the greatest benefits out of certain medicines. And certainly, there is another potential application that I, I know we've spoken about previously around you know the over-the-counter analgesia 
statistics and obviously you now that's one area where there's certainly an, a huge reliance from a lot of our community patients on uh, managing themselves for pain but perhaps manage, giving themselves a dose that uh, perhaps is too much for them but it may be by, a byproduct of their poor metabolism. Well, that's right. I think, look, co- you know, codeine comes probably as, as the most um, commonly prescribed opioid analgesic that's over the counter. So we see it in many different variations. And, and codeine, as, as, you know, most would be aware, is, is a prodrug that's activated by this CYP2D6 enzyme that I've, I've just talked about. And interestingly, one in 10 patients or 10% of Caucasian patients have no function for that enzyme. So effectively, the, the conversion of codeine into morphine, which is the active metabolite that actually gives the analgesic effect, does not occur in one in 10 patients. And um, having that information up front is, is ideal because there, there's many patients, as we see, that are on massive doses of, of uh, you know, the codeine paracetamol combinations out there that are not getting the benefit from the codeine. And in fact, some of them may, may be getting side effects only, such as constipation or drowsiness, and no analgesic effect. Um, so testing for that is, is ideal for, for even over the OT, you know, OTC medications. We, our testing also spans and covers uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which uh, for those that are, have reduced metabolic activity for those particular drugs are, are at a high risk of having the, all the terrible side effects from, from the anti-inflammatories. So having that information up front, um, you know, at the pharmacy level with OTC, I think would be something that, uh, that would be very useful for the pharmacist uh, down the track to be able to, to provide for their patients. Yeah. And I get, and I guess on, on, on the service and and Alan, you might, you might want to elaborate on it when, um, in terms of the way in which it's conducted, um, obviously there's a test that happens in the pharmacy and perhaps you could tell our listeners of, I guess the time required to do that. And does it require a lot of training to be able to do it? But also once the sample leaves the pharmacy, pharmacy what happens to it um, what systems do you have that are analyzing it and how quickly do our patients then know a little bit more about what's going to be right for them yeah sure um, yeah I was just going, I mean just adding on to Sam's point about the uh, you know with analgesics you know we, we see lots of patients and there was a case um, that was in the newspaper up in up in Queensland where you know you had we had uh, fellow who was on work cover and hadn't worked for over 12 months and was taking the maximum amount of panadine forward and having trouble sleeping. So he couldn't work. He was completely, you know, I, I guess, um, uh, in pain and, and it was affecting his, his quality of life. And his psychiatrist actually ordered the test for him and, uh, you know, the results indicated that the pain medication he was taking, which was, you know, the maximum doses, for the last 12 months and the sleeping pills were, were basically the wrong ones for him. And, and by just that simple piece of information, the doctor was then um, given some guidance from, 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 from the DNA dose report and, um, and that patient's now back at work and, and living a you know, quality life and sleeping well. So it has huge, you know, simple change to the drug or the dose, you know, as, as I'm sure many of your audience who, far, who are pharmacists can see can have a huge impact on, on people's lives. And we see that all the time with the, both in you know, pain management and particularly in mental health. Um, so, the, you know, the way, the pro, the way that, the, in answer to your question, mm. you know, the way that the process works um, in, in pharmacy is that we've, we've actually got a TGA-approved um, DNA test kit 
um, which can be administered in the pharmacy. So really the pharmacist, you know, can determine if someone's getting the right drug or the right dose. And then uh, if the patient's interested in having a test, then the pharmacist then can actually play a role of, um, uh, I guess, the sample collection and uh, can use the cheek swab. And it, it probably only takes them, the actual sample collection is just, there's two swabs, it's 30 seconds on each side of the cheek. So, you know, maybe one to two minutes to collect the sample and then send it off um, to our approved lab. Um, and the results come back uh, to the pharmacist uh, within seven days and then they can arrange a consultation with the patient to actually discuss what the results mean and how that might impact on their drugs. Um, now, we, the results are sent off. We actually use a third-party lab that ANATA accredited. So we use uh, HealthScope Pathology, which would be one of the bigger pathology players in Australia, um, who actually conduct the, the, the actual lab analysis and, 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 and the testing. And then that raw DNA information is electronically sent to GenesFX, where we've set up a clinical interpretation service, which is made up of people like Sam, a molecular geneticist, uh, and clinicians like Professor Les Sheffield, who actually review the drugs that uh, patients are on and effectively do like a genetic medication review. And they will actually d deliver a tailored report looking at the medication someone's on and marrying that up with the genetic results to guide the pharmacist and doctor about what drug and dose may be required based on those person's genetics. Mm. Um, so the pharmacist is given a very comprehensive uh, medication review um, that, you know, advise what, what the optimum drug and dose might be and if any changes are required. And then the pharmacist's role is to communicate those results back to the patient. And if there's a, uh, an intervention, a clinical intervention required, then we'll pick up the phone and ring the doctor and, and let them know that uh, the patient's going to come and see them uh, to discuss the results. Yeah, and it's just such a fantastic outcome for patients because you could see if we adopt a, a formally and hopefully the past model of pharmacy care and being very transactional about medicines that come in on prescriptions and repeat supply and so forth, um, the results will be always fairly suboptimal. But you can see so, so easily from that process you described, and you know, I know our listeners will get a lot of value out of understanding how it is that you come with it, but it's really you're delivering an actionable insight back to that pharmacist to play such a pivotal role in ensuring that patient's care is going to be improved. And, you know, that's really what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, traditional methods, you know, I guess in prescribing, you know, look at the different variabilities that are applicable to drug response. But we've never had the genetic information, which we know is a, plays a major role in drug variability, to base those decisions. So, you know, what we call it is sort of more informed prescribing. Um, so we're arming the pharmacist with valuable information about how that patient might respond to the medications they're on. And because it's genetic, we're also giving advice about, you know, for 40 to 50% of drugs that we're testing for, if they ever go on any of those drugs in the future, um, they can effectively, you know, look at what the, you know, predict this, whether there'd be a side effect or whether that would be the right choice of a medication for them. So it becomes invaluable and it becomes like a, I guess, in effect, you know, your DNA becomes a bit of a partner in your in your healthcare, and that's what we're trying to be. Um, you know, you, you only have to do your genetic test once, and then effectively you get a bit of a DNA profile of how you respond to many medications. 
Yeah, and certainly, I guess from a from a snapshot point of view, in being able to see what a patient's currently taking and what compatibilities or incompatibilities there may be based on their generic genetic structure, um, but. I guess for ongoing, is is it the type of test that you have to have, you know, once a year, twice a year, uh, and particularly when patients undertake, you know, large changes in the medicines? And I guess around those changes, can their GP log in somewhere to, I guess, check something before they prescribe it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the lab, I guess the you know the actual lab test or pathology test um, that Hellscope Hellscope do is once off. Um, but you're right, people, you know, depending on the medications, they're on change medications, you know, regularly and, and you know, from one year to the next, they may be on different medications. And um, I guess we, uh, we, you know, we see one, you know, pharmacists who are trained up in this will, you know, will be able to, I guess, provide services around that in the future as more and more people have their genetic information available. Um, but at the moment, I guess what we've been concentrating is building some smart tools that basically give decision support to health professionals, both doctors and pharmacists, where they can log on, access someone's um, a patient's result, uh, and then get some decision support based on the genetic profile of what you know, what whether a change is required or a different dose might be required based on the results. Um, so we actually built. Uh, we were fortunate enough, you know, I mean, this area of pharmacogenomics, you know, if you could get the you know medication right first time. Uh, it's got the potential to save the, you know, this, the health system billions of dollars, um, and we've had been lucky enough to get a couple of grants um, from mainly state government here in Victoria, um, who can see the potential that this could have and the potential savings. And they actually funded us uh, to, to to build some smart software, um, which was basically, you know. Um, a decision support system for pharmacogenomics and we've been trialling that in uh, one of the leading teaching hospitals in Australia in Melbourne um, over the last couple of years and uh, and it's been very, very successful in terms of um, enabling clinicians to have people's genetic information at the port of, point of prescribing so that they can make, you know, more informed decisions. Mm. And, and that decision to support system and also the, uh, I guess, the information you collect around what may be right or wrong for a particular patient, are you looking to get that written into the patient's electronic health record? I know there's a lot of discussion at the moment about that now becoming a, a system where information can flow in and the patients will have to opt out if they don't want it to flow in. Uh, but is um, the pharmacogenomic data part of that? Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, absolutely, that, you know, that's the goal because um, um, you, you want it integrated into your e-health record. You want, if you go and visit your doctor, that it's alerting him when he's, you know, when he's doing electronic prescribing. Uh, you want it at the pharmacy when someone's dispensing a drug for them to be alerted that perhaps this is the wrong medication for them based on their genetics. Um, so that's where it's all heading. Um, at the moment, I guess there's, you know, there's a number of, considerations you know in terms of you know this is people's genetic data so you know the privacy and the security and what you're doing with that information all becomes very important questions so you know our approach has been 
uh, is, is that you know through the software there that we've built is that you know it you know that data belongs to the patient and make sure that they're the only people you know they get to decide what we do with that information. Um, but yeah, ideally, um, you know, you want to start integrating this to whoever that patient's health professionals are that they have access to those results and. Potentially that might be done, we're thinking, you know, as, as a piece of third-party software rather than sitting with the government or with the health insurer. Um, so they're, they're some of the interesting, you know, um, we're sort of pioneering new ground here. So, um, you know, there's some of the interesting questions that we face on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I guess, Sam, Sam, we hear so much in pharmacy world around PBS reform and obviously the costs keep going up and obviously our margins keep coming down in pharmacy. But I guess what do you see pharmacogenomics as, I guess, as, as something that perhaps may influence the PBS moving forward? And, you know, is government looking at pharmacogenomic testing nationwide to, I guess, reduce the, uh, the medication misadventure that comes from just not knowing whether a drug's suitable or not? Well, there's um, it's an interesting question. There, there's a, there was a paper published back in 2008 by Deloitte Economics which really looked at, uh, you know, what, what are the potential savings for, for, for government if we had widespread adoption of pharmacogenomic testing across Australia? And um, the projected savings look, amounted to about $12 billion over the next five years. This was back in 2008. And what it really looked at is effectively what are the what are the potential savings in, in a number of categories. One, to reduce adverse drug reactions, which could potentially uh, lead to hospital admissions. And you're obviously aware of the costs around hospital admissions. Um, looking at use, using obviously the most appropriate treatments. Often we see patients that, uh, you know, they go through what they call medication wastage is they put on a treatment that perhaps causes them to feel ill or, or doesn't work, they switch to an alternative treatment and so forth. So cutting the, the, the costs there in terms of selecting the most appropriate treatment up front has, has substantial implications on, on in terms of saving the, you know, the precious health dollar for, for the government. So I definitely see there's a, there's a, a, a very uh, important role of implementing pharmacogenomics for, from this, you know, for, for, from a PBS perspective. Um, it's just a matter of trying to, there's obviously, the, the, you've, you've got to obviously amount all the right uh, information and tools and evidence to support your argument to be able to implement it uh, at that level. But my, my vision is definitely something that will become um, part of you know, normal medical practice uh, in, in the very near future. Yeah, um, I mean, adding to that, Rob, um, you know, I think, you know, I think it would be fair to say that in the next three to five years, then, you know, nearly everybody should um, know their pharmacogenomic profile and hopefully that'll be funded by, you know, the Australian healthcare system. And when, you know, the precedence of that is in the US, um, where off the back of um, the Obama announcement, there's also been a number, you know, the health insurers of actually covering the cost of this type of testing. Um, and, and specifically um, in their Medicare, they've uh, recently become a Medicare item um, for people to get um, a test in mental health. Um, so, you know, effectively what the, the case there was is that, you know, uh, in fact, the test in the US costs a couple thousand dollars, where here it's only a couple of hundred dollars. But, um, but in the US, they effectively said for every, for every um, patient that's, um, you know, taking an antidepressant or an antipsychotic, uh, who does the test, the net saving to the health system would be about $2,000 per patient. Um, 
So you can see that cost savings is significant. I think there is there's certainly a, a, a strong economic argument um, uh, for, for it to happen in Australia. And we actually um, did a trial which um, was written up and was in The Age um, two weeks ago, which you know, we, we uh, estimated that um, with the wide adoption of pharmacogenomics in mental health that we could save the Australian government about a half a billion dollars a year. Um, so huge potential. And I certainly, hopefully, it'll get the uh, uh, start getting the attention of some of the, um, I guess, the people that are responsible for the health budget. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we always hear that we're, people are complaining about how how Australia is so much more expensive than the US for so many things, but not for pharmacogenomics, which is a a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and Sam, I just I wanted to ask because obviously you see a lot of these results come through, and um, you know from your experience, I guess of seeing them come through, or perhaps even in store um, as as a pharmacist, I guess what's the most extraordinary um, result that you've seen, and uh, the, I guess the subsequent impact on a patient. Look, I mean, there's. I mean, we, we tend to see, as I said, the, the, these variations are very common, so we tend to see quite. Uh, you know, we've had some remarkable stories uh, that have come through over the years. Uh, ultimately, it's it's those patients that have suffered and had a what they call you know a roller coaster ride for years and years and years of trialing different treatments, often labelled and coined as being crazy or or, or making you know the, all these symptoms and stories up. Where uh, it it you know after doing the testing and and getting some some information and science to support. What they've gone through is is been extremely empowering from from the patient's perspective to be able to know why they've had those sort of issues uh, with medications, whether it be you know the unusual sensitivities and the responses that uh, differ from the norm. So um, you know th- there's there's been numerous cases where, in particular in mental health, where there's patients that have had you know. Uh, trouble finding a suitable treatment and upon testing with with tweaking their dose or the treatment that that's basically changed changed their life around and, and they're, they're able to lead a normal life and uh, and, and obviously being very thankful and uh, f- for the service um, I can't think of one specific case at this current moment but um, yeah you know we've seen, we've, seen, yeah. we've seen many I mean there, there's there's many cases that I tend to present uh, you know that I suppose the the uh, the more negative side of inappropriate prescribing. You know, there's a case that I often pres- uh, uh, talk about a, a 17-year-old young lady who was prescribed uh, an antidepressant, which was sertraline, with with an anti-anxiety agent to help her through a depressive state that she presented to her uh, GP. And um, unfortunately, as a result, that landed her in hospital with what was uh, uh, diagnosed as serotonergic toxicity. And uh, the mother of this particular patient was aware of our testing and we, we ran some tests for her and, and, and showed that, that both treatments that she was given, she could not metabolize at all. Mm. And upon seizing the treatment itself, the patient was back to normal. So, um, the, the, and, and, and interestingly enough, the same case presented a year later in a different state with the exact same situation, with the exact same results. So it is sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of an eye-opener for a pharmacist, to, I guess, to, to see these things up front and, and then it makes you wonder when you're dispensing each treatment, well, you know, 
should you have that discussion with your patients? I, I personally, I'm, obviously, I'm biased, but I obviously mm-hmm. believe that's a, a conversation that need you know that pharmacists need to have with their patients. Ask them how they're going, how are they finding their treatments? Are they are they getting the benefit they expect? Often patients assume they're getting benefit or, or just sort of don't realise that what they're having is perhaps side effects of the treatment, but just keep quiet about it. Um, and, and this sort of avenue is is something that they could perhaps uh, you know something they can entertain and 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 be able to get more information and, and more help. So um, hopefully that sort of answered your, yeah. uh, your question. I mean, we had a through, through interesting through one of the through the pharmacy trial that we're you know that we've been running. We had a you know a really interesting case of a um, a lady who. Um, who effectively had been, uh, she was in a car accident and, you know, been taking all these sort of painkillers and antidepressants and and effectively was bedridden for about two years, had not really, you know, and she had young kids going through school and, you know, she said to me that she pretty much just waved to them from her bed as they went to school each day. Um, And, uh, you know, she heard about the test um, and then decided to go through with it and then, now she's living an, uh, an absolutely normal lifestyle just by changing the medications. Hmm. Um, so just, you know, it's sort of the type of story that gives you sort of goosebumps, yeah. you know, and when you meet these people, you know, you, you realise, well, I certainly, you know, get more excited about what it is that we do here and the impact that we can have. And I think that's, you know, uh, something that, you know, pharmacists, you know, w- would get a lot of value from as well, you know, to, to be able to intervene and, and have that sort of impact on, on some of their, their patients. Absolutely, and and it could even be that patients request it proactively as well. There's obviously such a rise of the wearable tech movement at the moment where patients are learning more about themselves, whether it be how many steps or what their sleep's like. But as we've explored in previous episodes of the show, there are more uh, connected health devices of blood glucose meters, blood pressure monitors, things that are connected to the internet that are capable of informing you know their doctor and so forth as to how they're going, pulse ox and other things so it's really just about understanding yourself a lot better to be able to make more informed decisions and certainly pharmacogenomic profiling is one of those things um, and Sam also drawing on your experience as a pharmacist and you know being involved uh, in the management of pharmacy businesses over your journey um, for the pharmacy owners that are listening today and thinking yes this is fantastic it's great for my patients and so forth but how can I create a, a business out of this and you know how can I justify you know incorporating another professional service into my into my business uh, that doesn't you know has an have an obvious uh, revenue stream attached to it? Um, very good question, Rob. I think that you know at the moment this is I guess in the heart of the the, the pilots we're currently running and we're trying to evaluate all of those uh, points that you've mentioned. Um, no doubt the value that you have in providing you know, this, these services to your patients is, is really the, the goal there to ensure that you're providing them, you know, your best treatments and ensuring that you're, you're, you're providing, as, as, you know, we all believe in safe and effective use of medicines. Um, there, there is definitely, um, with any program, there must be some, you know, a, a, something that's going to be viable, obviously, to run in pharmacy. And this is, I guess, at the moment where we're trying to, to evaluate those sort of options and draw out on, on how we could have a viable pharmacogenomic testing service within pharmacy. So I'm just sure, I'm not sure I have the right answer. Yeah, I, mean, I, yet. I, I might. Yeah, well, I, I think that's fair to say. You know, we're still working that out. But but what what's clear is that 
you know, it is another professional service that pharmacists are well equipped and have the expertise to offer. Um, and, you know, therefore it's another professional service like a, a health check or a blood pressure check or um, any of those sort of health assessments that pharmacists are already providing, um, which they could generate a service fee for. Um, but what's sort of, you know, I guess unique about this is that it's really playing to the expertise of a pharmacist who's an expert in, in, in medications and drug metabolism, and therefore it's a really good fit and complementary, um, you know, to, to I guess, um, yes, you know, what uh, I guess pharmacist expertise. Yeah. And it's a fast, it's also a very fast growing, you know, field. And I think, you know, it's the actual science has been around for all oh, around, um, you know, over 10 years, you know, or more, but you know, 15 years, Sam's sort of... More like 50 years. More like 50. <laughs> In terms of its clinical application, it's probably, you know, the last 10 years has been a whole lot of tests, but in general, there's been a slow adoption of it into clinical practice. And really, I think the reason for that is that there isn't a specialty in medicine that's really grabbed it and run with it and said, yep, this is this is this is the standard protocol in cardiology or in psychiatry or gastroenterology. And, and I think that's the opportunity for pharmacists who, you know, who, who see patients and the breadth and the depth of the medications and the, uh, and the condition, health conditions that they're dealing with. And pharmacists have a real opportunity here to, to, to become experts in the space and become integrated in, you know, with, um, with the local doctors in a, in a new service. Yeah, no, look, I think so. And I think it's part of the overall value proposition in terms of, I don't believe that, you know, pharmacogenomic testing should be viable as a standalone because it really doesn't represent the role that a pharmacist plays in the total primary healthcare journey. I I believe that it certainly, you know, goes a long way and it's probably quite intangible and perhaps even immeasurable at the moment. But certainly a patient that would receive in any one of those that you've mentioned, uh, that insight that actively improves their lifestyle or you know their activities of daily living as a result of the insight that delivered they'd certainly be feeling very different about their pharmacy moving forward and uh, certainly in terms of you know in terms of the business aspects I think it has a great level of customer retention uh, about it in that it's actually heightening the level of pharmaceutical care that they perhaps would have experienced otherwise oh yeah absolutely and we have you know we have many patients who you know um i guess uh ring us up because yeah they want to speak to sam as an example because you know everything you know they've got such a big impact from the the report and he's the pharmacist on most of the reports that they then want to ask him every question about every single health problem they might encounter because he's now a very trusted source to go back to so um yeah i would agree i think it it should definitely help with customer loyalty and trust and 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 positioning that pharmacist as a expert Absolutely. And we bang on so much about it. A pharmacist becoming the trusted advisor and, uh, you know, that example just really underlines it perfectly. And um, Alan and Sam, what's to come? What's on the horizon? You know, certainly I know that we're just scratching the surface. It's not widespread throughout all community pharmacies yet. But I guess where would you love to see uh, Genes FX going, you know, in five, 10 years from now? And, you know, what do you see that I guess the future in terms of adoption of pharmacogenomics and applications yeah no uh, it's a good question i mean you know i guess i guess we've sort of got a vision here that um you know your dna is 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 going to be very important 
uh, and it's going to be a partner in your healthcare moving forward. And it won't be too long away um, where the type of test that we're doing now, which is sort of you know looking at four genes only, becomes obsolete because the technology in this space is come the cost of I guess sequencing and and doing the genetic testing has has really declined exponentially. And it it um, you know they're now talking about what's called whole genome sequencing. Um, you know, for about a thousand dollars. So that's rather than just the four genes. That's that's your whole genome, which is uh, effectively uh, about three terabytes of data. They say, um, but it, you know, it can give you information about um, everything. It can give you uh, in terms of your health, in terms of the you know, obviously the pharmacogenomics, but certain um, risks of diseases, um, how you might. Uh, which vitamins you know uh, you might be able to take uh, lactose intolerance um, what uh, even some lifestyle things you know what sort of diet you should go on uh, sports exercise etc um, so you really where we you know our our vision is our expertise is around interpretation and we we're really seeing that you know we're going to move down the, the day where someone's going to have their whole genome on an electronic health record and is going to want advice about, well, what does that mean as it relates to this health decision I need to make? And, and, and that's really, you know, where GenesFX sort of will be positioning itself to, to play a role in making sure it can give credible, quality, expert advice on what that means and, and also potentially what it doesn't mean uh, based on the best evidence uh, available. Yeah, and that aligns perfectly with uh, the discussion we had in uh, last week's show with our business futurist, Morris Muzalowski, which is around pharmacists uh, imparting wisdom on their patients. And uh, certainly the pharmacogenomic testing looks like a perfect partner for every pharmacist. Oh, absolutely. And I can just imagine a day where, you know, somebody brings their USB stick into the pharmacy and says, you know, here's my genome. Which vitamin should I take? Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, and it probably won't be a USB stick by then. It will probably just be in uh, in some cloud cloud matter and pulled down somewhere. And yeah, it's uh, it's quite fascinating. Absolutely, and look, and the area is. I mean, as I said, it's it's a rapidly uh, fast growing area, and there's you know, um, and you know, with people like the US investing billions of dollars into the space, it's going to just you know continue to to accelerate the adoption of it. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. Look, it's been absolutely fascinating having you both on the show today. I know our listeners will certainly have their eyes wide open to future opportunities and really not so much future opportunities, but what they could really be grabbing hold of right now in providing a valuable insight into their patient's health and also their better medication management. So loved it and uh, I look forward to inviting you both back in the not too distant future. Oh, thanks, Robert. It's a pleasure to be involved and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Robert. It's, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Our pleasure. Well, as you might imagine, after last week's episode, when we went all the way to 2050, we had to come back to 2015. But still, the learnings of what we get out from this particular interview, and we showcase some of the things that really are going to bring to fruition what Morris was talking about in creating this personalized pharmaceutical care, which is surrounded by our wisdom that we deliver to our patients, is that pharmacogenomics is going to help us get there. And it's not just getting us there later, but it's getting us there right now. And it's been available for the last five years. And it's amazing what it can do, not only for us, but for our patients.
My three key learnings is one, the PBS in our patients' journeys can be made more sustainable and more efficient by utilizing pharmacogenomics to reduce the need for trial and error and also the number of medication misadventures and subsequent hospitalizations, which certainly is a massive burden on our health budget at the moment. Number two, from little things, big things grow. And it's not just a very popular phrase, but particularly the DNA dose pharmacogenomics test is just not a standalone. It's a little seed that enables us to deliver a very powerful piece of wisdom to our patients. And just like wearable tech, it creates that ability for us to have an engaging conversation with our patients who have got lots of data around themselves They've grabbed some knowledge from Google or it might be from their devices, but we can help translate it and personalize it into something that's absolutely life-changing as we heard through some great case studies throughout the interview. And number three, personalized medicine or precision medicine has arrived. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky philosophy or a someday solution. You know, we only need to look at the fact that Barack Obama has invested $215 million US dollars into creating more sustainable precision medicine because the data is there. As Sam referred to a 2008 paper in, put out by Deloitte that has over $20 billion worth of savings available by optimizing medication management in Australia. So, it's a fantastic service. It's so easy to operate in your pharmacy. And it's something that if you're around creating a sustainable competitive advantage and a better customer experience, then there's nothing simpler and easier to help you attract and retain your patients to your pharmacy. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Transformation. I've been busy the last few weeks putting together some great guests to help you solve the problems that you have sent through by email or social media. So as I mentioned last week, that's how this show comes together. And just a sample of what we're covering includes data and business insights and also business intelligence. So ways of utilizing the data that you've got in your pharmacy to help you work out what's working, what's not, and what you could focus on for your best patients and what they really need from you. Also, what innovations are in play over in the US as well and what we can adopt from their best practice. I've got a great guest coming up from the US. So please leave a comment in the show notes. You never know, your comment may evolve an episode coming up. There's always space at the bottom and I read and respond to each and every one. And my guests like Alan and Sam today are always happy to respond to those questions individually as well. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week in episode 52, which will be our anniversary show. Bye for now.